You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Listen, we're, we're in the middle of a, as, of a series at the moment in the book of James. And James is a short book, but it's a challenging book. And the series is called Faith That. The last one we looked at is Faith That Acts. And before we jump in today... Uh, there was just a couple of things I wanted to share, uh, just a few reflections. Firstly, uh, a few weeks ago, we did a little uh, interview with Susan Anders about worship. And some of you may have noticed um, that I had a little moment with the Holy Spirit. Um, I think it's probably our most watched live stream ever. Um, and I guess I just wanted to reflect on that because we weren't here last week. Firstly, what was that all about? And uh, yeah, some of you will remember just before that moment that B prayed, and uh, I just want to quote her word for word because I watched it back. She said this, I've just been hearing the word over and over again, drifting, like drifting away from the Lord. And it may be something that you're already aware of or just realizing today, a drifting away. And it could be because of a particular sin or just the things of this world. Because this world has many distractions, and I feel the Lord is saying, I love you, please come back to me. I love you, please come back to me. Everything your heart desires can only be found in him. It can only be found in Jesus, so please come back to him. And then I said, whilst I feel like that may apply for individuals, I also feel like it's almost like a congregational word. It's a challenge for all of us. Why? Because there is more than we currently see, and we have to humble ourselves before him. Let me just read this. It says this in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Many of you will be familiar with this, verse 14. Then, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be opened and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. For I have chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. And uh, God, I think, answers and answered on the basis of that passage, kind of under four conditions for forgiveness. It says, if you humble yourselves and admit your sins, firstly. Secondly, if you pray, asking for forgiveness. Thirdly, if you continually seek God. And fourthly, if you turn from your sinful behavior. True repentance is more than just talk. It's changed behavior. And whether we sin individually collectively or as a nation following these steps are going to lead us into places of forgiveness and God will hear our earnest prayers and on reflection of that in that moment I I was undone because I am desperate for the presence of God in my life and I'm desperate for the presence of God in your lives I'm spent on him and I don't want to have any reservations and I don't want to hold back and I long and I long and I long and I long 
to give him everything I've got. And I long the same for you, that you'd worship him with your whole lives. And we spoke about worship and desperation. And I sensed a, not only a breaking in me, but I sensed a breaking over us. And that, that was kind of one part of it. I guess what you wouldn't have fully realized is the other part of it was this, that preceding week we'd been at the Vineyards uh, National Leaders Gathering. And one of the speakers said something that I think he actually only meant as a joke, but I've just not been able to shake it. He's a fairly charismatic guy in his communication style um, is, is, is an American in many ways the way he was speaking I guess what he was sensing was among a British people that we were quite reserved and maintained kind of this stiff British upper lip and he's kind of preaching up a storm and uh, people I guess weren't responding or interacting quite the way maybe he was thinking and he said I'm preaching better than some of you are responding and um, it kind of grabbed me as a bit of a hook in my heart because I don't want to be the guy that slips into routine. I don't want to be the guy who just goes through the motions, who's just filling up a seat, who slips into past hurts and pains and dials down, and that takes me out from the assignment that the Lord has for me. I don't want to be the guy that just finds it nice and cozy and church is comfortable being the guy who, you know, just comes because my wife's passionate about Jesus and I just kind of, you know, take the kids to the group and sit and fill up a seat. I don't want to be here just to pay my dues and crack on with the rest of my day. And it's so easy to do that, to come here, to grab a bit, to give a bit, to sing a few songs. You know, like, oh, I like that one. I didn't really like that one. To hear someone rabbit on for a bit. You know, to then pull it apart over Sunday lunch. I like that bit. I didn't like that bit. To bump into a few people, some who are friends, some we kind of tolerate them. You know, you then roll into Monday and you go to work and you earn enough to pay the bills to save enough for the odd holiday and then you do it all over again the next Sunday. I just can't do that. And I don't believe that's what God has for us individually or as a church. And this guy says, I'm preaching better than some of you responding and he's kind of joking but if I'm honest I was just totally undone because James 1:22 says don't just listen to God's word you must do what it says otherwise you're only fooling yourselves and I'm sorry if it feels like week after week I'm just kind of prodding you in the ribs but I just want to prod you in the ribs <laughs> because I want to say will you come here this morning whether this is your first time or you've been a few times but would you consider Jesus. Now for repenting, that the only thing would be Jesus. We just sang it. Will you believe that there's more to your life, that there's more to the way you are living, more to your life stage, more to your workplace, more to your marriage, more to your hurts and your pains and your insecurities, that there is freedom and there's life and there's hope and it's abundantly more than you currently know. And I don't want to in any way criticize the church. I love it. Jesus is coming back for it. But so often you see things and you're like, oh, no, please, no. You know, someone got baptized here recently, and as part of their testimony, they said this. They said, I love it here. Paul's only got two T-shirts, and you lot aren't stuck up. <laughs> and uh, I actually, I, honestly, I think I've actually got three T-shirts. But um, <laughs> can we honestly stay that way? Because that's one of the best things I've ever heard. Can we just be really simple? 
Can we just try and deal with our stuff, our silly stuff? And can we just try and change and try and live under the power of the presence of God, absolutely sold out? Honestly, I'm, I'm a nobody, but I'm a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody. I can't wait to go on sabbatical. It's good for us, but it's also good for you. I'm honestly, I'm just a nobody, but I want you to know somebody. Leadership is important. I'm not trying to say we don't care. I care deeply. I'm not trying to abdicate responsibility. We know God called us to this thing, but goodness me, don't look to me, please. Look to Jesus. Yeah, I know Paul said, the apostle Paul, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But he's pointing them to Christ. He's pointing them to Jesus. Don't follow me, follow Jesus. If I can encourage you, brilliant. And you, me, brilliant. And it's wholesome. But honestly, let's talk about Jesus. There's an American guy, and it's amazing, I can't even remember his name. I think he would have loved it. But he said three things, preach, die, and be forgotten. You know? I, I, I just want you to know Jesus. And I just long that you would do something about it. Don't just know him and then not do something about it. Give him everything. Give him your hurts and get them out of the way. Give him your past experiences and get them out of your way. And seek to live in the fullness of life. So often, we don't know how to respond. And I believe we're meant to respond constantly. I regularly tell the story of when I first joined the vineyard. I didn't say vineyard, but um, I first joined the vineyard and I'd go forward every week, every single week, and people would pray for me. And one week, I think I shared it with a number of you, but there was this word about a lady struggling to conceive. And I was the only person who went forward, not because I'm struggling (laughs) to conceive and not because that word was for me, but honestly, I'm desperate for a greater measure and a greater fill of the Holy Spirit because I leak And he changes me, and I need him to change me. And this is, and there is never a time not to be desperate for it. I kind of have two rules. I'm either going to be prayed for, or someone's going to pray for me. I'm either going to give it, or I'm going to get it. And once you've got it, you've got to give it. That's kind of how this thing's worked. And honestly, I'm I'm, I'm not really joking. We, We live in a culture where this isn't the case, but honestly, in the, in the church, it's ev- everybody's men to play. This isn't about superstars or professionals. We, we have to do this. If you've given your life to Jesus, you live in and you carry the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's like a deodorant. Unless you use it, it's kind of ineffective. Don't let the culture, don't let the stiff upper lip that so often we have in our culture rob you. Don't let your self-consciousness, your pride, whatever it is, rob you. I'm fully aware of our responsibility to steward what the Lord is doing among us. I think it's a phenomenal thing that is happening and stirring here. But whatever and wherever I can, I I just want to sit as a child before a father rather than ministering as a father. You know, at the leaders' conference a couple of weeks ago, they had these 15-minute slots for church leaders to receive prophecy and they're pretty strict on the time actually it was was almost like oh gosh here we go anyway two and a half hours later I came out um just snot and tears everywhere absolutely undone all over again and I'm 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 not trying to take you where I'm not willing to go myself but trust me I, I live there I'm in for this thing because if my people 
who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and restore their land and my eyes will be opened and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. For I've chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it for it is dear to my heart. It's, it's all we've got. My priorities are this, Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. I've got to deal with the stuff and the idols in my life. We just sang that. I've got to live for him. I've got to follow him. I've got to follow him even when it's quite uncomfortable and even when it deeply challenges me. And I have to know that we get to do that in relationship with the people alongside me and around us that are going to shape us and challenge us. That's why we do small groups, because we want to do this together. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. I'm going to love God. I'm going to love Steph. I'm going to love our children. I'm going to serve Jesus with everything within me. I'm going to give the church everything I've got. I'm going to spend my life serving the cause of Christ. If we want the blessing of God, we have to live in the obedience of and to God. Sometimes we honor him with our lips, but our hearts are far from him. James 1.22, don't just listen to the word of God. You must do what it says, otherwise you're only fooling yourselves. He wants all of you, not just part of you. Last time was faith acts. This week is faith sacrifices. The overall concept, in case you miss it, is kind of this, that the faith that saves always produces good works and is based on God's saving work in Jesus. Let me read to you from James chapter 3. It says this, verse 20, how foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Now I've kind of said it before if you've been here before, but James is quite a complex book. And... Um, it really comes into sight as to how it's complex right here because James chapter 2, verse 20 to 24 is, is kind of one of the most difficult passages, I think, when considering salvation in the whole of the New Testament because the difficulty is clear when we stick it alongside a passage in Romans. See, it says this in James 2, 24, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And then it says in Romans 3, 28, for we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of law. And in James 2, 24, we read that a person is justified by what he does, not by faith. And then in Romans 3, we read that a man is justified by faith apart from works. And it's kind of like, hang on a minute, which, which, which one is it? And we have no reason, I think, to shrink back from either James or Paul because actually they don't contradict one another. Each of them is writing about the exact same gospel, yet they're writing from slightly diff 
different advantage points and they're addressing different problems in the churches to which they're writing. I don't think James and Paul are kind of going head to head with each other. I actually think they're standing back to back with each other. Instead, they're, they're kind of confronting slightly different enemies and together they're defending a unified understanding of the gospel because Paul is fighting against the false idea that we can earn our salvation through works and James is fighting against almost like this believism that had reduced salvation to an intellectual belief that you didn't have to do anything. So which, which battle are we fighting now? If we were to put ourselves in that context, which side and which way are we fighting? Well, I think we're fighting both. Because many people believe, whether they admit it or not, they think they can work their way to God. Have you ever seen that or found that even in your own lives? You do good stuff. That's going to offset your bad stuff. I want to fight against that idea with everything within me. And at the same time, many people believe that we're saved by grace through faith means that works are irrelevant to God and our obedience is therefore unimportant. Ah, just relax, God's got it, live as you like. His grace is good and it's free. Don't worry about the rules, don't worry about legalism. Oh, it's all just traditional. Culture's moved on. Lighten up, move with the times. You don't, you don't have to do anything. You just have to think it. People don't quite say it that starkly because they don't realize often we're caught up in that way of thinking or that way of living. And actually, I want to fight against that with everything within me too because this passage is a glorious picture of the gospel that is received by faith, but that faith is not just an intellectual thing. This faith is that as a result, it has radical changes on our obedience to the commands of Jesus and we need to think about what that kind of obedience looks like and I I hope this makes it less confusing more than more confusing but I think there's a couple of ways of seeing righteousness it can even be positional or it can be practical see positional is kind of really this is is how we stand before God this is what is happening at the point when we surrender our lives to Jesus when you trust in Jesus for salvation God's grace comes upon you and you are made right before God. Jesus credits, he grants, he clothes you with righteousness at the moment of your salvation. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it like this, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ Jesus. You're made right with God. We're a sinner. And yet we have peace with God because of the righteousness of Jesus. Your position is secure. And yet also there's a practical element. This is really about how we live before God. We demonstrate and we show and we grow in righteousness in the way that we live. There's two understandings there of righteousness and they're not totally separate or actually distinct from each other. Those who are counted righteous in Jesus practically manifest righteousness in their lives as they grow in the likeness of Jesus. So at times in the Bible, righteousness refers to how we stand before God and other times it refers to how we live before God. And when James talks about works, he's talking about God glorifying obedience. 
a love for the needy, a mercy for the poor, a care for the impoverished, all that are driven by love and mercy of God. The things, and, and these things are kind of the fruit of faith. Faith has fruit in our lives. Galatians 5, 6, Paul says this, what matters is faith expressing itself through love. See, faith expresses itself. We live differently. James isn't advocating works in the flesh done in order to earn something, to earn favor before God. And Paul rejoices in, in works that produce by faith that bring a glory to God. And both James and Paul, I think, see faith and works as working together. You see, I think James and Paul are, are kind of saying and trying to help us get that faith actually creates works when we have faith when it's embedded in us and when it grows and it comes into maturity it creates works chapter 2 verse 22 you see that faith was active together with his works and by works faith was perfected so the scripture was fulfilled that says abraham believed god and it was credited to him for righteousness and he was called god's friend amazing when we get and we grasp that truth abraham's faith resulted in works of obedience when god called him to sacrifice his son and james is saying kind of in chapter two that the the, the fruit of this is faith just as you kind of take an apple seed and <clears throat> you plant it in the ground one day you're going to see an apple tree so in the same way, when faith is born in a person's heart, it's going to bear fruit. James says of Abraham in verse 22 that by works, faith was perfected. Isn't that phenomenal? What does he, what does he mean, perfected? It kind of means to bring to maturity, to see it grow, to see it come to fruition. Abraham's works matured his faith, brought his faith towards its finished goal. I.e. when you're active, when you live out your faith, when you do the stuff that Jesus did in the way that he did it, our faith grows up, it matures, and it's brought to completion. And to apply James's point quite practically, we might say the more you obey God, the more your faith grows. If we want our faith to grow, we have to obey God. Faith leads you to obedience, and obedience leads you to maturity in faith this is a honestly if we grasp it it's a wonderful reality <coughs> works are good and they're good when it produces the fruit which is faith now let's just put some meat on the bone what does this actually mean for us what does this actually look like let's just for a minute think about the times when we come to collectively to worship jesus this is what i partly think explained what was going on in me a few weeks ago if we come to worship and we're gathering and we're fueled by the flesh almost in order to put a face on before other people or some kind of idea that we're gonna by doing that earn favor before god then this work of worship i don't think brings glory to god but if you're coming is the fruit of faith. If you believe and you love God and if you trust him and trust that he knows what he's saying when he tells us not to forsake gathering together, 
how powerful it is to gather together. Hebrews 10, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. When we come like that, our actions honor God, and when our faith drives us towards a corporate worship of God and his people leading us to sing spiritual songs and listening to his word and bringing something of a sacrifice, joining together in this self-giving fellowship with one another, that brings us to faith and it brings a maturity in our faith. And you could say the same of spending time and uh, studying the Bible and praying. If we do these things out of the flesh because it's just kind of some ritual or religious routine and we've got to do it in order to earn favor before God, then I'm not sure that's it. But if we believe that our supreme delight is found in God and we want to know him and we want to hear from him and we want to express that knowing and loving deeply in our hearts to him, then surely that is a good work that pleases him. And if we serve the last and the lost and the least because we feel that we have to in order to earn some kind of favor before God, I don't think that kind of caring for the poor honors him. But if we believe that to God, it's really important to him and to his people that we spend ourselves on behalf of the poor and the radical care of others, then I believe our faith is made complete in the doing of it. But do you, do you see why I kind of got a bit undone the other week? Because what we're seeking is to be open to the powerful, transformative indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Because if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. For I have chosen this temple to be set apart, to be a holy place where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it for it's dear to my heart. And I believe that. And I believe it for us. We can't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says, otherwise you're only fooling yourselves. And reflecting on that, Martin Luther says this, oh, it is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. It is impossible for it not to be doing good works incessantly. It does not ask whether good works are to be done, but before the question is asked, it's already done them, and it is constantly doing them. You see, all I think James is really saying in this passage is that we're not justified by faith that claims to believe in Jesus, but does nothing. But when you turn from yourselves and you trust in Jesus as the only one who can save you. God clothes you with righteousness and the righteousness of Jesus by his grace, he declares us right before God. In Ephesians 2 verse 8, Paul says this, for you're saved by grace through faith. It's not from yourselves, it is a gift from God. You see, I think there's a danger that Paul wants us to avoid. He wants us to avoid thinking that our works are a necessary basis or means for salvation. He wants us to avoid thinking that we need to work in order to earn salvation. But then there's this danger that James is desperate that we avoid. He wants us to avoid thinking that works are not a necessary evidence of salvation. 
works are not the basis of our justification. Final justification is not actually based on works. But rather, James is wanting us to see that when we stand before God on the day of judgment, it'll be clear that we had a real, true, and authentic faith. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to beat you. I know saying that some of you will feel beaten by it. I'm not trying to do that. What I'm trying to do is draw you into more. More than what you're currently seeing and living in and knowing. Is what we hear meaning more? And is it landing harder than sometimes we respond with? Because we are constantly and should be constantly asking ourselves, is there any fruit? Is my life bearing fruit? Am I changing? His work on the cross and in the resurrection is the basis of our salvation. But how is that work being applied in my life and in your life? An easy believism, I think, is rampant today in contemporary Jesus followers, where all kinds of people are claiming and believing that they're right before God the Father, but they have absolutely no interest whatsoever in walking with God as a friend. And James says, such people, you don't have faith. Their faith is dead. Because Jesus says to his disciples in John 15, verse 14, you're my friends if you do what I commanded you to do. It's the natural overflow of knowing God as Father is to enjoy him as friend, is to live for him and to serve him in the place of obedience. Faith results in radical obedience. When your faith in God as Father and as friend, then you don't need to be afraid to obey him. It becomes a natural overflow. You don't need to fear his commands. You almost have a longing to be that and to live that. <coughs> Even when the things that he says to us <coughs> make no sense to us or to the world around us. Even when he calls us to take steps of radical risk, we can obey. Why? Because when we're trusting God wholeheartedly, there's almost nothing else we can do. Because we trust him wholeheartedly. This is why Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son. Because he trusted God. I believe we'll sacrifice everything in obedience to his commands. What, what do we do? How do we respond? Well, we humble ourselves by admitting our sins. We pray to God and we ask him for forgiveness. And we seek God continually and we turn from our sinful behavior. Why don't we stand together and we're going to do just that. So we're going to just take some time now to respond and to pray for one another and I just um, want to give you an invitation before we do anything else um, before we share any other any other words or um, senses we may have um, an invitation for any of you that just feel compelled to respond you're either I don't know if this happens to you but sometimes I'm sitting through a talk and think oh I really hope there's a word for this 
because that's the thing that I need prayer for and that's what I'm going to respond to. And you're almost waiting for that invitation. We don't need to wait for an invitation. There's always an open invitation from the Lord to respond. So if you're sort of, you just know, I need to be prayed for, you might not know what it's about. You may be really specific about what what it is. Um, I just, yeah, before we do anything else, I'd like to invite you to to come out to the sides, to the front. We're just going to take time to do that. Um, Yeah. We're unashamed about responding to prayer, aren't we? And um, we always want this to be a place where, where we can do that. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.